just want to thank you for the request and the testimonies that were shared, answers to prayer. Lord, we're thankful that we can see you working in hearts and lives. We're thankful that you're growing us, strengthening us. Lord, we're thankful that you're in charge even when things are not very good. We're thankful that you are always good and never anything but. In your name we pray, amen. The things we may undertake in the coming year is upgrading our hymnals. I have uh, actually found a different publisher, a different hymnal that has a lot of the old songs that this one does not. And they actually have a Christmas section uh, that is about twice the size of this one. And so um, we're going to look into that and see if we can get those and... Um, we have to get them reviewed because sometimes, uh, and this won't make much difference to you, but uh, they'll put the hymns in the hymn book in a different key than you're normally used to singing them. And what happens is you run out on the high notes and can't get high enough and everything sounds a little weird. And so you've got to go through all the hymns and make sure that they're in the appropriate keys. And... um, What I want you to do is we are not going to ignore the Bible to do this, but over the next several Sunday nights, uh, we are going to go through, and I would encourage you to uh, read through this carefully. If you um, note a um, typing error, now uh, we'll have to, I want to be careful here because there are different ways of saying the same thing, and so we're pretty much set on the way it's, suppo- way it's going to be said. Uh, but uh, if, if you have suggestions and things, just write a note and uh, uh, make sure you ad- uh, uh, reference the part that you are actually uh, trying to change and then we'll put those together and we will then give you another edited edition. And once we do that, we'll just be about ready to print the final final edition of this. And so if you would like to go through us, through with us the next several weeks, you'd like one of these. Brother Jobert's got a few extras. You didn't get one, kind of wave your hand there. And if you are a member of the church, you must do this. This is part of your responsibility as a member of the church. If you want to become a member of the church, you're thinking about that, take one and uh, go through and review that uh, with us. I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And uh, the um, preamble here is pretty straightforward. It's just simply a statement that if you are a member of our church that you will want to live by and practice the Constitution and bylaws. Now, Constitution and bylaws are a little different in our kind of church than they are in many kinds of churches because all we are doing is we are going through the Bible and we are given a written summary of what the Bible teaches. Uh, There's no way that we can have every situation and every instance of every person's life covered in our Constitution and bylaws. But the state of New York, and legally, they they want to know about us. And so 
you can't just give them a Bible and say, read it. Uh, they want you to write a summary of what you believe. And uh, did I ever tell you about the church that deeded their property to Jesus? They actually, when they filled out the title deed to the property, they put Jesus Christ on there and took it down and registered it at the uh, Department of Finance. I don't remember what city that was in. Uh, but they went through all that. Well, then a few years later, they tried to sell the property. And the judge said, unless you can find him to put his signature on the paper, we can't allow you to sell the deed because it belongs to him and not to you. And uh, they thought that they were doing something very spiritual and found out they were doing something quite silly. Uh, the truth of the matter is we believe that Jesus is the head of this church. I, I am not in charge. And we'll get through that as we go through here. But the pastor is to be the leader uh, of the church and to direct. And, um, um, and this we'll, we'll cover this in depth, but I, I like to use the pictures and the illustrations and that the Bible gives us. When the Bible explains the church, it always uses a picture of a body. Now, there is nothing that happens in your body that your brain does not tell your body to do. Now, we say, I wasn't thinking about it. We say, I wasn't paying attention. That's not true. Uh, your, your brain was giving directions. It's just that your eyes weren't giving your brain the right information as you slid your hand across the table to make a dramatic point and sent the water glass sprawling across the restaurant floor uh, and made a big mess. And, but you actually thought about what you did when you did it. If it didn't come from here, it doesn't go out here. Jesus is the head of the church. Each person is a part of the body. And by the way, this local church is a complete body. We do not have to have other churches ensuring our existence. Now, we were started just like humans are. We were started, we were given authority from the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio to start this church. Uh, I believe it's my responsibility as a pastor to make sure that the church I came from is a duly constituted, a Bible-believing church, and that this church follows that pattern. And if we have problems here, you know who's responsible? Pastor Folger's going to be paying us a visit. And uh, that's the way the lines of authority work. And uh, Pastor Folger does not call me up on the phone and say, Brother Montour, I think you ought to preach on this Sunday morning. Even though he's my pastor, he doesn't control this church. In fact, he considers our church not... Not a. Uh, we operate as co-equals, even though their church is much older and much bigger than ours. And soon we're hoping and praying that Brother Davis there at Cornerstone will reach that same status as a self-supporting work. The best way I know how to describe it is this. God looks at each individual church as if it were the only church in existence. Because... It is not a bunch of little bodies all over the place with one head. 
and it's not uh, a bunch of heads with little bodies everywhere. It is one church. But we have to function until we get to heaven to be with the Lord. And until we get there, each church functions as if it were the only one in the whole world, yet as we obey the word of God, you know what we find out? We find cooperation among churches of like faith and practice. But see, we don't have to have a district superintendent to make it work. Each church does its own duty responsible directly to Jesus Christ and we find ourselves cooperating whether we want to or not with other independent Baptist churches. If we took all of the missionaries that we support and could call each one of those missionaries and get a list of each one of the churches that support all of those missionaries, right now we support about 71 missionaries. The average missionary has between 30 and 50 churches supporting him, depending on his support level, etc., etc. There's easily four or five hundred churches represented in that. And some of them do not know us, and we don't know them. And yet, you know what we're doing? We're working together, and we don't have a district superintendent to make it happen. You ever been in an organization where they had, I mean, many denominations have these people running around, and I didn't mean to chase this rabbit so far tonight, but uh, I just want to finish this out. Our responsibility for what we do ends right there at those doors. No one comes in and explains to us how to run our business, and we don't go out and try to tell other people how to run their business. Each church is responsible directly to Christ. And that's how it operates. It's so simple. If we were all part of some bigger organization, let me tell you, we would have to go out and try to straighten out things that are going on in other churches. It was wrong. Because that would affect us if we're part of the same organization, would it not? Right? That's why Egan, or whatever his name is, is he the archdiocese? No, he just got moved to somewhere else. I don't know who the archdiocese, the cardinal of New York is right now. Um, Not really concerned, because it has nothing to do with us whatsoever. But... Anything that goes on in a Catholic church in New York City is his responsibility because it is a denomination. He's in charge, by the way, legally in New York State. Every property of the Roman Catholic Church is owned personally by the head of the Archdiocese of New York City. That is the way the Catholic Church is set up. He could personally, if he was so instructed, is liquidate every piece of property owned by the Catholic Church and ship the money back to Rome because that is in his boss. That is how they're set up. If anything happens here, you have to make a decision. I will give you direction as the pastor, but it's not my money. It's yours. It belongs to the church, and we have to make decisions 
what we're going. That's why we vote on the missionaries, because I'm not paying for them. You are, Amen. And we want to do that. And this is our final authority. But we've got to work together. And this document is a summary of how we are supposed to operate. And when the state of New York comes in and they said, you guys say you're a church, prove it to me. We say, here, take a read. This is a summary of who and what we are. And they'll start reading through this thing. They'll go, oh, my, 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 okay. Uh, We understand, but it's a testimony of what we believe and who we are. And I want you to turn to Revelation 3, 8, if you're not there. If you've ever wondered where we get our name, and and yes, uh, just for history's sake, the church I grew up in was called Church of the Open Door in Westminster, Maryland. That is not where we got our name, honestly and truly. Here here is where we got our name, Revelation chapter 3. And let's just read the whole thing. And that's one of the things I wanted to change. I don't know how we did this and didn't put the scripture reference in under our name. But, uh, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth, I know thy works." And I have set before thee, I'm sorry, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. That's the verse that's on the front doors out front there. And um, that is where we got the name of the church. As we were praying that God would give us a door to open. Because right when we started, there was, we didn't own a thing. We had no place. And... Here, let me just read the description of this church. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience... I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. But I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, when we look at our church, I would say this describes us, for thou hast a little strength. I mean, our church is not like the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, how many of you here have had a chance to visit there. Not, not everybody, a few of you. And uh, on a normal Sunday morning, they will have fourteen or 1,500 people on a regular Sunday morning. On a special Sunday, they have had high attendances over 3,000 people in that church. And it's quite a building and quite a complex. And, and they run buses all over the west side of Cleveland, 
to pick people up. About 16 buses go out every Sunday morning. I, I wish we could do that here. Uh, but it's actually more cost-effective for us to send someone into another neighborhood than to run buses there. And so if we have that money to do that, that's what we're going to do is try to see another church established. It says, For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. Now that's one of the things that we have made the emphasis of Open Door Bible Baptist Church before there ever was enough people to organize. It's been all about the word of God. Every time you come to a service, it's, you're going to get the Word of God. That's what we are about. And it says, and has not denied my name. We want to lift the name of Jesus. By the way, one of his names, the Word of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus and we want to lift his name. And we also want people to understand that those doors are open. That it doesn't matter who you are. God opened the door. We want you to come in. But if you're going to stay, you're going to have to agree to some things. Amen. You're going to have to want to be a part of what's here. And so as this was actually done before our church held its first service because we wanted people to uh, be able to know who we were and call a, a upon us. But just again, this is a way of review. Uh, our name of our church is Open Door because we were praying that God would give us that open door. Actually, we got three of them out front. Amen. And uh, we just praise the Lord for what he has done over the years. He has opened it and no man can shut it. Anybody can walk through that door. We believe in the Bible. That's why the next word of our name is Bible. Everything we do here is Bible. We are Baptist. We do not apologize to uh, use that name. There are many people who have sullied the name Baptist. Uh, anybody remember Bill Clinton? He claimed to be a Baptist. Uh, as we know, that's not all he lies about. Uh, Al Sharpton gave up his Pentecostal ordination because he was running for mayor of New York City and he went through the voting records and found out there are more Baptists in New York City than Pentecostal. So he called up a friend over at First Abyssinian Baptist Church there in, in um, Harlem and said, I, I need to become a Baptist because I'll appeal to more people to vote for me. That's not all Al Sharpton's lied about either, now is it? But just because someone uses the name in a poor way does not mean that we give up on the title. Because the name Baptist was not one that we gave to ourselves. If you trace the history of the word Baptist, it came to be used in the colonies here in the early 1600s. Uh, the term that was used before that was Anabaptist. That is a medieval term. That term goes back into antiquity, uh, into the uh, early 13, 1400s in that time period there. That term came to be used. It was a catch-all phrase. 
Uh, by the way, in medieval Europe, the word Anabaptist was the dirtiest word in any language on the continent. It was a profane word, it was a foul word, and it was used to designate those who would not be a part of the Roman Catholic hierarchy. They used it as a name of shame. We use it as a badge of identification because Baptists are not Protestants. We never have been a part of the Roman Catholic system and by God's grace never will be, but you'll find some Baptists that are trying awful hard today. And again, we don't want to use that term in any other way than what it meant. Here's why they were called Anabaptist. Because they said in order to be baptized, you must profess faith in Jesus Christ first. That is a doctrine you and I call today believer's baptism. That is a Baptist distinctive. And that is a word, Brother Franz. And uh, it is a mark of the true church of Jesus Christ, we have always rejected infant baptism. It is not biblical. It is not scriptural. It can do nothing except get the baby wet. Whether you immerse or whether you sprinkle, it doesn't matter. Baptism is the testimony of your salvation. That's Bible. And we'll go over that. The Anabaptist also believed that final authority was in this book called the Bible. They also believed that the church shouldn't rule the state, nor should the state rule the church. That the church was responsible directly to Christ. A Baptist preacher named um, John Bunyan in England spent 12 years in prison because he wouldn't take a state license to be a preacher. I'd say he believed in the authority of God a whole lot more than he did the authority of man. Amen? And so we use that term to identify us historically because we are one in our doctrine with these ancient people called the Anabaptists. Before the Middle Ages, they were called by all kinds of names. They were called Arnoldist. Because in 1147, there was a man named Arnold of Brescia, which believed those basic same doctrines. They were called Waldensians or Valdois. These were the people who lived in southern France and northern Italy around the foothills of the Alps there. They were known as people of the valleys. Do you know that the Waldensian Bible is the same in text as our Bible? The Waldensians would take anyone who was baptized in a church of a different faith, a Catholic church, and they would say that baptism doesn't count because that church doesn't teach the Bible the way the Bible teaches the Bible. If you're going to be a member of our church, you have to be baptized in public identification with a real church that teaches the Bible. The authority comes from the Bible through the church, but they both have to agree in order for it to be a real church. Amen? And so these are the people in the first century. They were known as Christians. The second century, they were known as... Oh, here we go. My brain just... Um, Donatist. 
They were known as monetist. They were known as, um, uh, let me see here, just some of the different names that are in history. And as those groups changed and changed names as they changed leaders, um, the Hutterian Brethren started out as an Anabaptist group, the Mennonites who are now in central Pennsylvania, started out as an Anabaptist group. Now what happened was when the Protestants came along, many of these Anabaptists found out it was a whole lot easier to join the Protestants. It wasn't as odious as fighting against the Catholics. And they found some measure of freedom in many of those leaders in those groups chose what we would call the easy way out. And we're not here condemning everyone, but this is, this is what makes history confusing. Is because you take a man named Menno Simons, who's the founder of the Mennonites, he was an Anabaptist. Most Mennonite churches today will sprinkle baby 